Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. We're going to continue today on our series on the topic on the person of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Uh, Just a really quick recap. Uh, So far, we have talked about the dream that God placed on Joseph's heart, and we've looked at how uh, God placed this dream on his heart, and there were times in his life where it looked like he was going in the opposite direction, but what we found was God was moving him closer and closer to that dream, even when it didn't look like it. God was faithful. God is always faithful, even when it doesn't appear to to be the case. We talked the next week about Joseph in the midst of that prison season, in that season of life that you just want out of, that you just don't want to be there anymore, and how God continued to work in his life and do good things even in the midst of a season that he didn't want to be in. And we looked at some of the reasons we might find ourselves in those seasons. And last week, we looked at Pharaoh's dream. So we looked at uh, how uh, Joseph said, because of your dream, because of this famine, it's going to get so bad that people won't even remember the abundance that was before it and how this is a human condition. When life becomes challenging, we are forgetful people. We forget that he's a good God and a faithful God. And it's just a reminder, God is always good. He's always faithful. And ultimately, Joseph said, even though that's Pharaoh's dream, that things will get so bad you, uh, that you forget the good, Joseph had a, uh, named his son Manasseh, which means forget. And he said, it's because God has been so good, he made me forget the bad. Now, if you've missed any of these messages, we uh, load them to Facebook, uh, the video. You can also go to the iTunes store if you have an iPhone. Just type in Cranberry Community Church, and you can download them there. Um, Last $1,000 a message, Greg. So... (laughs) Last month we had zero sales. This this month so far zero sales. But I'm I'm holding. I'm, no, everything's free. Everything's always uh, free there. So uh, today we're going to pick up at the very end of Joseph's story. Uh, in fact, if you read past what we're going to read here in just a moment, the only thing it talks about is Joseph's death and his burial. So we're at the very end of his life, the very end of his story. For a little bit more context, at this point Joseph's father has died. And his brothers are frightened because they believe the only reason Joseph has been kind to us is because of the link with our father. Now that our father is dead, he might want revenge against us since uh, daddy's not here anymore. So we're going to pick up there in verse uh, 15 of Genesis chapter 50. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You have intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down that last sentence there. He reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now I'm going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, What we're going to do is we're actually going to go from here and move into the New Testament And we're going to kind of make our way back to this point 
because there is a, a lesson here in the story of Joseph that is more clearly defined in Paul's writings. So I want to look at Paul's teachings. And as I said, we'll come back and connect them to the story of Joseph. But we're going to talk today about a topic that is perhaps Paul's favorite topic in all of his writings is a topic that's actually two-sided, but one that we only uh, hear one side of. However, to get to that topic, I'm going to take you somewhere really dangerous, and that's the inside of my head. Uh, <laughs> this is not to put any focus on me. This is just to connect you to what Paul is doing. Uh, I want to share with you what's going on inside my head when I pre prepare a message uh, every Sunday. First, you should know there are two settings in my mind. It's completely turned off and I'm just blanking or it's just going all over the place. Uh, but whenever I prepare a message for Sundays, uh, the first place that I start, and I hope every pastor would say this, is I want the message to be biblically sound. That's the first priority. And in fact, we have four core values as a church. That's the number one core value, to be a church that is grounded in the Word of God. That's where I start. The second thing that I try to implement into every message is that it's gospel-centered. Uh, what I mean by that is that it's always centered around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Everything in the Bible either points forward to Jesus or points back to Jesus. Everything circumvents Jesus. And I don't need to stray from the gospel message to meet you where you are. I don't need to stray away from the gospel to, to share with you a message that is relevant. Uh, what I try to do, because sometimes it's hard to see, is I want you to see that the gospel message, the life and the work of Jesus Christ is absolutely relevant to wherever you are this morning. So those are the two kind of uh, cornerstones that I shoot for in every message, biblically sound, gospel-centered. Now, when I've laid that foundation, what I try to do is two things. The first of those is I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be lifted up. I want you to, to, to be uplifted uh, because the gospel is not doom and gloom. You know, when the angel appeared to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, he didn't say, be terrified. I have horrible news of imminent destruction. No, some people preach like that. But he said, I have good news that will bring you great joy. The gospel is not doom and gloom. So I don't think the church should be doom and gloom. I don't think you should leave here with a feeling of doom and gloom. Now, uh, if you reject the free salvation offered in the gospel, there's a little bit of doom and gloom in your future, unfortunately, but that's another day. So I want you to be encouraged. And then to some degree, I want you to be challenged. Uh, because to learn and to receive the work and the teachings of Jesus Christ, that's encouraging. But to implement them and to live them out, that should be challenging. Uh, there are always deeper levels of our faith, deeper levels of surrender in our faith, deeper levels of trust. And sometimes uh, we should experience kind of challenge our, challenging ourselves in that. So it doesn't have to be either or. You don't have to come in here and either I'm going to challenge you or encourage you. I try to do both. And that brings us back to Paul because there is a, there is a message, a topic in Paul's ministry that is absolutely central to Paul's ministry. And it's one that is meant to be encouraging and challenging. And that central message is the message of grace. Now, when we hear the message of grace, 
we usually only hear the encouraging side. We usually only hear that side that, that we're, you know, understand God's grace for you, receive his grace for you. But there is another focal point in the teachings of Paul, and that's not just the receiving of grace, but that's the giving of grace. And that is a challenge. The Bible says it's more blessed, blessed to give than to receive. It does not say that it is easier to give than to receive. Now that's true of finances, and man, is it true of grace. It is so much easier to accept grace than to give grace. I've said before, and I'll say it again, one of my favorite things about the, the topic of grace is just following the timeline of grace in the Bible. Because uh, if you go back to the law of Moses, remember the law of Moses for the entire Old Testament, that was everything. Their lives were just built around the law of Moses. You do this right, you do this right, don't do this. Grace never appears in the law of Moses. If you search for grace in the law, it's antithetical to the law. It, it actually never appears in the law of Moses. And in fact, as you progress through the rest of the Old Testament, it almost never appears. Through the entire Old Testament, it appears about 10 times. And then we get to the New Testament, and John is introducing Jesus, and he introduces him this way. Hey, uh, this man, Jesus Christ, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So, so he introduces Jesus by saying, grace has come through this man. So as you're studying the teachings of Jesus, you would think grace would be at the forefront, but actually, it's absent Again, if you study the Gospels and Jesus' teachings on grace, there's nothing there. But something happens as we transition from the Gospels to the, the post-cross and post-resurrection part of the New Testament. Grace explodes. It was never mentioned in the law. It was rarely mentioned after that, even through the ministry of Christ. But all of a sudden, after the cross and after the resurrection, it's mentioned more than a hundred times. It's the central point of the New Testament. It's all they want to talk about. So how is it that John said that, that through this person, Jesus Christ, grace has come to us, and then Jesus never talks about grace? It's because grace did come through Jesus, just not through his teachings. It came through his actions. Grace was not something Jesus taught. Grace was something Jesus demonstrated. And the ultimate demonstration of grace took place on the cross. That's why it's all they wanted to talk about after the cross. The moment when God stepped into humanity and then he humbled himself to what in their culture was the lowest place you could go, death on a cross. God became man and humbled himself to that point. And as long as you have placed your faith in him, he takes your every sin, your every mistake, your every failure, and he takes his righteousness and he drapes it over your shoulders. This is called grace. Now, grace at its core, the, the, the basic definition of grace is receiving that which we have not earned and we do not deserve. But what we're talking about here that takes place at the cross is divine grace. 
It is a, a divine, eternal level of grace. And it was the complete and perfect fulfillment of John's words that grace would come through Jesus Christ. In that moment on the cross, divine, eternal grace, which none of us could earn or deserve, was given. The first thing I want you to see is that large-scale impact of the grace of God. Because grace changes your eternity. Paul said over and over, by grace you have been saved, that you have been justified freely by his grace. He talks about the incomparable riches of the grace of God, the abundance of the grace of God. The book of Hebrews says that the very Holy Spirit within you is the spirit of grace. Paul said that this gospel message with the power to save is the gospel of grace. And he said, if you take, the, if you take grace out of it, it's not even the gospel anymore. The gospel message is the gospel of grace. Now, do you, do you see what I mean? Grace, all of a sudden, is everywhere. This grace that for so long in Scripture was nowhere to be found is all, all of a sudden everywhere to be found, especially in the teachings of Paul. And I want to ask you this, why? Why was grace so near and dear to Paul. And the answer to that is found in Paul's own conversion. And not just in his conversion, but in Paul's history and his baggage that was carried into his conversion. Because if you remember in Acts chapter 9, it tells us that Paul was on the way to Damascus and he had a legal document to persecute anyone who followed Christ. We should keep in mind, Paul at this point in his life hated Jesus. Now that's a strong word, but it's the right word. Paul hated Jesus. He hated anyone who followed Jesus. He hated what Jesus stood for. He hated anyone who had anything to do with Jesus. And when, when Jesus encountered Paul on the road to Damascus, Jesus knew that. Jesus completely and fully knew who Paul was. And Jesus in that moment had every right to bring out what we would call the swift hammer of justice to annihilate Paul and rid the earth of him altogether. And instead, the Bible says Jesus sent a man named Ananias. In Acts chapter 9, if you'll put it on the screen, verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man Paul is my chosen instrument. So instead of Jesus, who knows him completely, knows Paul's sins, knows his hatred for, for the church, instead of him saying, rid the earth of him, he says, I have chosen him and I have called him. Paul talked about grace so much because his walk with Jesus Christ began with grace. Now, I want you to see something because this, this is... Uh, vital. Um, when I was in the Air Force, how many of us have flown overseas before? Just show of hands. Okay, a few of you. When I was in the Air Force, I remember uh, several times flying overseas and just looking down at the ocean and just kind of taking in how massive it is. I mean, it is massive. And I would go to sleep and I would wake up hours later and we would still be over the ocean because there's just so much of it. And if you're a numbers person, there is an estimated number of gallons in the ocean. This is the number here. You can, you can try to figure that out if you want to. The, the word for it is about 343 quintillion. 
Now, not only is it just gargantuan in size, but the ocean affects everything. Um, it feels far from us, but it affects us every day. It affects our every breath. The ocean uh, produces over half of the oxygen in the world. So when I say it, it affects your every breath, it affects your every breath. It produces over half the oxygen in the world. It regulates our climate and weather patterns. Uh, it absorbs over 50 times more carbon dioxide than the atmosphere. It is vital to our life. But even though it is something so huge, and even though it has such a massive impact on every one of our lives, because it's so far off, and because it's something that some of us have never been to, others only go on vacation, that impact that it has on our lives in reality, it doesn't feel very personal. But if you go to the ocean and you stick your feet in the water or you wade out into the water or you dive uh, into the water, all of a sudden this ocean is impacting you on multiple levels because there's still that level of this is providing your oxygen, it's still regulating the weather, but now there is this personal experience where you have stepped into it yourself, so it's happening on multiple levels. You feel it for yourself. You know, the thing about grace is grace is so big and it has eternal ramifications. You are saved eternally by the grace of God, but it is so big that its impact can feel kind of impersonal. It can feel far off. You know, we know that there are eternal results of grace. But you can believe in grace on an eternal level and never experience it on a personal level. You can believe in grace just like the ocean is out there impacting your life somewhere out there and never step your feet into the water and never experience it for yourself. The reason that Paul talks about grace so much is because he stepped into the water. So it wasn't just the eternal effects of grace, but Paul encountered grace on the road to Damascus on a personal level because of the way that Christ came to him. He had hated Jesus. He had hated everything about Jesus. Yet Jesus said, I know you completely and I still choose you. So to Paul, grace wasn't only eternal. Grace was personal. Is the grace of God to you something that you believe in on an eternal level, but maybe you haven't experienced it on a personal level. Because what we find in Paul's life is the reason, the reason that this man would do anything and go anywhere at any cost, at any price, wasn't simply because he believed in eternal life on the other side. It was because he had experienced this grace. This grace had changed him, and he wanted everyone to know about this grace. In Romans chapter 5, he wrote this uh, in verse 15. He said, The gift does not like the trespass, for if many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, 
overflow to many. Then in verse 17, he says, For if by the trespass of one man, uh, speaking of Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? That word, therefore, receive is not a passive word. Uh, it literally means to take hold of. It means that you are taking hold of this. You know, you, you can receive something by simply not rejecting it if I just throw it in, in your lap, or you can go after it and take it. The word Paul uses here for receive the grace of God is you go out there and you grasp it. You take hold of the grace of God. To the point where you recognize that grace is not just eternal. Grace is personal. It's why Paul said things like he has chosen us by his grace. He has called us by his grace. Can I tell you that I am here because he called me by his grace, not by my qualifications. I would not be here. I am here because I am called by the grace of God. Did you know you have a calling on your life, not based on your qualifications, but because you have been called by the grace of God, chosen by the grace of God. Whether you recognize it or not, the grace of God is personal for you. We don't deserve it. That's why we call it grace. And we haven't earned it. And that's why we call it grace. And we have to get away from this place where grace is a then and there thing in eternity to where grace is a here and now thing. Where I walk in his grace today. And to some, that is the challenging part of grace, is receiving his grace but that's not even what I meant as the challenging part of grace today. Because Paul first defined grace. He taught what grace is. And then he taught that you have to receive it. You have to grasp it. And then he taught you need to give it. And that's where the challenge comes in. That, that we are called not just to receive his grace, but then to turn around and live it out before others. To give grace to others. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says there's, uh, this in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a, has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now that phrase there at the end, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's one that Paul uses on multiple occasions. And if he had just said, forgive others, it would be difficult in and of itself. But when he says, forgive others the same way that Jesus forgave you, that's like a whole nother dimension. Because we usually have conditions to offering forgiveness. I have to know that the one who wronged me is really sorry. And they have to come to me first because they wronged me. And they have to apologize to me. And when they meet A, B, and C, I will offer grace from my pedestal and I will forgive them. What Paul said was, no, you forgive people the same way Christ forgave you. 
That means that you forgive when, when people don't deserve it. You forgive when people haven't earned it. If you look at Paul's story, that means you forgive those who hate you and who have wronged you. Now, I want to be very clear that forgiveness does not mean someone has earned your trust back automatically. That's not what we're talking about here. But, but uh, unforgiveness and bitterness, what's the saying? It's like uh, drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. It just doesn't work. We are called to forgiveness by the grace of God. You say, that's, that's hard, Pastor. Well, that's the good news is you have been given the spirit of grace. The more that you lean into God and into the Holy Spirit in your life, you are leaning into the spirit of grace. So when we read about Paul, his story kind of begins in that place, his story of forgiveness of he hated Jesus and he forgave him anyway. And I want to go from there back to the story of Joseph because what happens when Joseph's brothers return to him is they thought that he would be out for revenge because uh, they had wronged him. And if you remember from the first week, it said uh, they, they not only hurt him deeply and, and ripped him from his family and sold him into slavery, they were the cause of his pain, but it says they hated him. And then it says this happened and they hated him even more. And then it says something else happened and they hated him even more. There was hatred for Joseph. Now, when I was uh, younger, uh, my favorite movie uh, growing up was The Count of Monte Cristo. Um, it's a story about a young man named Edmond Dantes and he was betrayed by his best friend. He was wrongly accused and he was sent uh, to prison. And while he's in prison, he has years to himself to think, if I ever get out of this place, I'm just planning my revenge. And it's a movie, so of course he gets out. And then as the movie unfolds, it's this, uh, he, he is methodically and strategically exacting revenge on every person who has wronged him. You might call it a revenge tour. And do you know what that makes him? The hero of the story. The guy who gets revenge for every way that he's ever been wronged, he is the hero. And here Joseph is face to face with those who hate him and who have wronged him. They are the reason they robbed him of 16 years with his father. They are the reason he was in prison, the reason he was in slavery. And now their father's dead and they're standing before him and you're just looking and they're afraid. It's that moment of revenge. And the Bible says in verse 21 again, Joseph said, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to, him, to them. Just like Paul hated Jesus, yet Jesus responded in grace. Joseph's story at the core of it, it's, it's encouraging but it should be challenging because it is the story of a man who overcame everything to come to this moment where he gave grace and he lived grace. Uh, Renee, if you would come. What we find in this story is when Joseph's brothers were before him, he didn't teach them about grace. He demonstrated grace. You guys can stand. Grace is not something just to be received. It is something that should first be received. Secondly, it should be demonstrated. 
and I don't know where you are this morning, but because you are all human, one of those two probably relates to where you are. Either we're in this place and we've never fully embraced the grace of God on a personal level. Uh, maybe we've recognized it eternally and say, thank you, Jesus, that when I die, I'll be with you thanks to your grace. But never, it's never hit you on a personal level that despite who you are and your past and your history and your tendency to fail, Jesus says, I know you and I call you. I know you and I choose you. His grace is here to meet you on a personal level. And on the other side of that, for many of us here, we've been withholding grace from others. We have people that we've held grudges against, that we are bitter towards, and we're sitting here and we're saying, God, is, is there anywhere in our hearts where we are holding grudges, where we are withholding grace? And on the other side of that, God, I pray, is there anyone in here? Perhaps we have rejected your grace. So I pray over these next few minutes just that your spirit would speak with clarity. In Jesus' name. been poured out for you, not just on an eternal level, but on a personal level, that you have been called and chosen by his grace. And I hope you leave here challenged, recognizing that we are now vessels of the grace of God. So Lord, go with us this week, and I pray that Lord, for some of us, this brings up you know, um, a minimum of 10% of all the finances that come in the door go straight out the door towards missions, both local uh, and international. Uh, and usually we have a monthly focus, which I almost always forget to tell you what the focus is, but I wanted to tell you what it's been this month and what it's going to continue to be. Uh, we had a missionary here recently, Dwayne Goodling, uh, who does online services 
that go to Pakistan. So he preaches, and in Pakistan, they are translating his messages before a congregation, and they're actually working on a um, uh, gathering about 10 to 15,000 people right now uh, for one of his messages. And we've been raising funds to send Bibles over there. I think they're $6.50 each. And uh, how many that we do. I, right now we're sending like 50 Bibles or, or 100 by I can't even remember. But it, uh, no, it's more than that. Yeah, 200 Bibles. So uh, the when you give, 10% goes to that right now. And if you write missions at the bottom of your check, that's what it would go to this month. And I'll try to do better about kind of bringing all that into that. Okay? All right. Have a good week, church. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.